Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Fixed. I'm your host, Jessica Danielle. And with me today is James Life is Good. As he is known on TikTok, he's awesome and he is a recovery badass. And I am so glad that we're about to talk to him and hear his story. So you guys hang tight and you're about to hear from James. Hey guys, we're here with James and you know him better as James Life is Good, but this is James. How are you? Good morning. Thank you for getting up for me. Good morning. I appreciate <laughs> you. Thank you for having me. Super stoked to do this. Uh, is this Super your first stoked. podcast that you've ever done? This is my first podcast. This is the one oh I said follow through. <laughs> I'm breaking or wait, what is it? Breaking the podcast cherry. Wait. Yes. That- yes. I've been I've had many, many offers, but I just wrong timing, wrong place. So I truly believe that for everything. So that's why I'm grateful to be here and do this one. Let's go. You're popping my cherry on it. I know. Oh, <laughs> that's what it was. Pop it. And I'm like, what was Thank you. Okay. So anyways, I'm so pumped that I get to be your first one. Thank you. Cause I know I guarantee that a lot of people have asked to, <laughs> to have you on a podcast cause you're awesome. Um, and just who you are. And just so everyone understands, like I met James through TikTok. That's he started off doing tons and tons of recovery stuff on TikTok. And he's very big on TikTok. I'll put his information um, at the bottom of or in the description of this podcast at the end of it. But I want him to tell his story about his addiction, his recovery and what he's doing now. And, you know, how he got free finally from, you know, the disease of addiction and uh, how he kind of beat the odds. Right. So anyways, let's just let you take it from there what like start off from the from the top let's go thank you yeah i appreciate that and like i said thank you so much for having me super super grateful um for it yeah i didn't even know tiktok was even gonna even be a thing honestly got on there and just kind of started speaking you know what i've gone through my experience i thought let's see where this goes and then just one thing led to another and then boom that's just how it happened and it's been cool though because it's been quite of a quite a journey. It's been a quite of experience. Um, but yeah, like once I was able to free myself of all of these mind altering substance, man, my life, even when it's not good, is good. Like even on the hardest yes. things, it's good. Like seriously. Yes. So, um, but yeah, like what? that's what a lot of it was. A lot of it was me trying to fill a void with anything else other than my own self love. Like truly, truly trying to fill that void of like that pain and the trauma and some of the stuff that I've been through as a child. And I knew, you know, I found that. I found that within drugs and alcohol. And I'm like, drugs, alcohol, women, you name it. And I found that. And there was that feel good of like being absent from self, checked out. And it was just, there wasn't a better feeling until there wasn't any feeling. And then until I felt you more think and more. trauma, so like trauma, you said trauma. And I want to like hit on that. I think trauma is like the root of addiction for almost everyone. Anyone that really has suffered from substance use disorder has some form of trauma more than likely at some point in their life. Like, what is that? Like, is that true for you? How did, like, how did that play a role? I think it has a huge role. You're right. I think it's huge. Um, But it, a lot of it, like I said, at times was just starting off of like wanting to do the cool thing and just get out there and party, right? And all that stuff. But then when I felt these feel goods within these drugs and alcohol, and I was like, man, what is this? 
like what the fuck is this and it skyrocketed me to want to just do more and more and more and then when i knew that i didn't have to look back on my past i didn't look at the look back on the pain that i was feeling and i could avoid it and just numb it out and totally cancel it out by the use of a uh, drugs and alcohol there was not a better feeling for me at the time like it just did it checked me out and i that's what i loved because i didn't have to face reality within itself and so that's kind of how like like whenever i first well i was prescribed pain meds and for the first time it's like you know i'd partied and stuff with different forms of you know different substances but i was like and i like i liked all of them but i was never like addicted to all of them but for some reason you know opiates for me really like it's really kind of made me feel normal for the first time and that kind of quickly like spiraled but with you like how old like when did you start using like how old were you when i started doing or started using um i started using around the age of uh, 17 and it's crazy because i started with my grandpa i had a grandpa i looked up to my grandpa like he was like his father to me because my real father wasn't in the picture um, and he was, I really looked up to him and my family always tried to keep me away from him. And they're like, you need to stay away from him. And I never knew why they would not tell me why they would never say why they're just like, he does things that we don't necessarily want you to know and be caught up in. But that killed me. Like me. curiosity killed the cat, right? Like I needed to know yes. what was he doing? Like, what is my grandpa doing? Cause I look up to this guy, he's inspiring, has a house, has a beautiful boat. He's got everything. Like what could he possibly be doing wrong? That, oh God. yeah, that I need to know about. So straight up, I fucking sat there and I remember I walking into his office. He always would have this little back computer room and I walked in there and I straight up asked him, I said, you know, what are you doing? You know, what do you, why you always have the door locked? And he actually brought me in and goes, here, I'm going to set you down and I want to talk. And he sat me down like a father son kind of talk. And he's like, listen, man, this is what I do. This is what your family's talking about, why they don't at times want me you around me um but he goes look you're gonna end up doing it anyhow so if you're gonna do it i'm gonna do it with me and i'm gonna show you how to do it and this is the way you're gonna do it and put it up your nose and as long as you throw it up your nose everything will be fine you'll be fine you'll be content oh, you won't be like your uncle i had an uncle that was there he was just blitz out of his mind um and they literally you know he told me like here you go and he gave me my first line of crank and i'll never forget it like i felt it and high and i was like whoa what is this? And then I started spending more and more time sneaking over my grandpa's house. When my grandma would go out on vacation, any other time I could, I would go and get loaded with my grandpa. That's what I would do. That is so crazy, right? Because it's like your grandpa. Yeah. That's yeah. That's even that's okay. So, so how long were you able to like keep this? Like, did your parents immediately, like, kind of, like, sense something? Like, were you able to keep it? Because, I mean, Crank is, like... <laughs> like yeah, it's pretty hardcore. Well, right yeah. around 17, though, I started, like, my brothers were always getting in trouble, my younger brothers. So, they were solely focused on him. I am the oldest out of three brothers. And they were really, really focused on my brothers and what they were doing. And I'm over here just quietly, you know, sneaking off, um, running yes. away at this point. And I wasn't ever at home. And to where they didn't even pay attention to me. They didn't even know what I was doing or what I was getting myself into. Maybe because they just didn't think that I would go down that road. My brothers got caught for everything. Everything they did, they got caught. Me, I was good at hiding it. I was good at just holding it and hiding it. And then there was a time where I'll never forget this, that 
I was down below packing my stuff. I was upset. My stepdad caught on to this and he goes, listen, you got to, you got one or two things. You're either going to start going to church, back to church with us. You're going to start um, either getting your stuff back, you know, um, getting, you know, we can notice that you're falling off from school, everything else. And you need to do this to live under my household. Otherwise you, or you need to go. I'm tired of your mom. Like all of a sudden, you know, my mother eventually found out and she was, I'm tired of her breaking down and crying over you boys. And I packed my stuff up and I left and I never looked back. And I literally packed my bags, my mom crying, sitting, you know, on the end of my bed, begging me not to go, begging me not to go out there, not to go. And I just said, I'll be fine. And I'll see you when I see you. And I ran away and I left. So at the age of 17, yeah, on my own. That's insane. So you're uh, that I, it's similar to me and how I'm the oldest of five. And uh, my family was so, you know, they, my siblings are so much younger than me. They were like just totally paying attention to them. I don't even think they noticed like, you know, my partying younger days. But then whenever I was older, they, I didn't live under their roof and they have all these kids living with them. So that was kind of how at first, but then similar to you, just like I all of a sudden was like, I couldn't face them doing the, doing that stuff. That would have been harder. So I just left. Um, okay. So what was your experience once you left? Like, where'd you go? So once I left, I had nowhere to go. I knew I didn't even know where I was going to go. I had friends and other people I was hanging out with. Um, but I had no idea of where I was going to go, what I was going to do. And basically went and started couch surfing and started staying at friends house. And, and I can only stay there so long before their parents caught on to like, Oh shit. And like rich ran away. Um, he's out of here. Like he took off. Um, so it, it's crazy. Um, because that's what I would do. I would couch surf. And then eventually I had a good friend that, um, his grandma lived next to this one guy. We called him big Brian. And Big Brian was one of these cool dudes that you would go to his house. He would basically get us beer, anything we needed. We did chores around the house, just basically like a little crash party house. And he knew that I was kind of on the streets. And he goes, well, look, man, I can put you to work and I can do these different things. But you have to also get a job yourself. But you can do side work around my house and you could stay here until you get back on your feet. And that's kind of what I did in the meantime. And I'd stay at his house. And basically that house was just did whatever, whenever we wanted kind of house you know was it a trap house sort of which is kind of weird because looking back at it i'm thinking why would this older dude want to chill with younger people like what the fuck okay mm -hmm. kind of odd but whatever you know so it was kind of like it wasn't so much like a trap house but it was just more or less of a a crash house to where anybody that was hungover anyone that needed to run away would go to this house and what did you get know, out of it because they always get something out of it like i had <laughs> A girl. Like, yep. He got a girl out of it or different girls coming over, probably pervert um, on them or whatever else. Um, and it's uh, not that the guy's a bad guy. It just was kind of odd looking back at it like that. The fact that he wanted to hang with, you know what I mean? Younger kids. It's, know, it's definitely weird. It's, de yeah. younger, no, it's definitely weird. Like he was getting some satisfaction somehow out of that yes. or, or the chores or whatever. I yeah. mean, like I, my, the first, uh, the second place that I ended up in Dallas, he, that was a straight up trap house. So it was a really like wealthy older guy yeah, that would let like all of anyone stay at his house. He would then though, make us go get him dope or, you know, do all these random crazy ass things. He lived in this really nice neighborhood in, in Dallas, like a really wealthy, he was like 
a trust fund dude that happened to live in like one of the nicest neighborhoods, but just had all of these like people on drugs living in his house. And it was so insane. But I'm, I'm, I'm always like, what did he get out of it? What did he get out of it? Well, he was a pervert and he was weird and he got a lot of, I mean, he got drugs, girl, you know, every, whatever he wanted, he got out of it. So, you know, I know that, I don't know, it is definitely weird, but those people aren't doing it out of the kindness of their heart. There's, there's no way. Um, it's always these weird, wealthy people <laughs> or odd people that single men that have nothing else to do. But yes, I'm sure he was gaining something out of it. And I'm sure that he was, um, you know what I mean? Getting something from this at the time, but he, he did work a lot. He was hardly there um, at times. But like I said, whether it was us doing work around the place, whether it was, you know, girls coming over, whatnot, and, you know, connecting with some of them, it just, it just was odd looking back at it. Um, but it was a place to rest my head. It was a place to where I could crash at the time until I started working to get back on my own. Um, because I get, I can only couch surf for so long, you know, and I only had so many places I could go and it would just, it, it did. It gave me a place for the meantime, you know, until I was back homeless again. Did so. you, um, so at this point in time, are you like starting to like, like, were you struggling with multiple substances or is it just like, what, like, what was your DOC? Like, were you completely hooked? Like what, like, what was going on with that aspect? So the crazy thing that happened was, as I was sneaking over with my grandpa doing these different drugs, right? I've have, like I told you, my brothers were always getting in trouble. My middle brother ends up getting um, in trouble and he was, he's always been in trouble his whole life. Um, and anyhow, I get a call from his girlfriend and I get this call saying, you need to come and check on your brother. You need to come over and you need to see your brother's not right. There's something off about your brother. And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, he's talking different. There, he's just, there's things he's talking about that's not here. What are these different, you know, you go, they go, there's just different things that, um, that are making no sense. The way he's speaking, the way he's talking, like they go, he wants to walk to freaking um california to make a record deal with snoop dog and i'm like what 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 are you talking about oh my so God. i yeah it was just a trip so i run over there to go see my brother and i'm like holy shit this is my brother right and i look and he's just checked out like totally checked out um he barely even knows who i am as he's speaking to me and he's literally trying to talk me into walking to california with him and I said, what the hell has happened? What is he doing? What has he done? Like, what's going what on? Yeah, like, what do you take? Yeah, and come to find out that he went to do amphetamines. And when he did amphetamines, they think, and I found this out later down the road, that they think that he got something bad, right? Like, one of the people give him a bad dose or a bad batch or something to where it literally um, triggered something in his brain. And when it released it, and now I have a brother that is schizophrenia bipolar. He's got a mind of like a seven-year-old. Um, he's not there. And I lost my brother you know, right then and there. It, oh, that's so, okay. So that's like a, a real legit possibility. People don't think about possibilities other than like legal, you know, becoming maybe addicted and dying typically. But there are so many help, other things that can happen from. Yeah using like yep. so many
And that is, I he, I think I've heard of one other person that had a similar thing, and it had to do with amphetamines, which is crazy. So, so he's just never, he's not going to be the same ever again. He of. hasn't been the same ever since then. Like I had to go try to hunt my mom down. Remember, I ran away. My parents, I didn't talk to at this time, and try to get a hold of them, and let them know that hey, my our, my brother, you know, your son is not all there. There's something wrong. There's something off. Um, I need you guys to look at it. And for a minute, they figured he's just doing his thing and he's getting in trouble and whatnot to where I finally convinced my mother to come down and see further herself. She took him down to um, the hospital. The hospital checked him in and the hospital and the doctors that diagnosed him with schizophrenia bipolar. And basically, like I was saying earlier, they basically just said that he went to go use. And what it did was when he used it, released something, right? It triggered something in his brain to go off. Now, schizophrenia bipolar does run in our family, but like further down the family line, it doesn't go like, you know what I mean? It's not nothing like close or immediate family. Right. And I mean, I know that schizophrenia can show up like later in life, if I'm not mistaken. So it does, it's, it's not, I don't, how old was he? He was, I want to say 16 at the time. Here I'm about 18 at this time now. And he was around, yeah, 16. I want to say, yeah. It was when and when it happened, so yeah, yeah, and it sucked because my brother still was my best friend, even though we got in trouble, even though um, you know, he was always in trouble, but it was still my best friend. Like he was still Your someone brother. that yeah, that you look looked up to, or someone that you talked to, or they looked up to me, and whatever else, right? And literally, it sucked because at that moment, I'm like, who is this? Like this is not my brother or the person I know. Um, and it broke his girlfriend down. She was devastated. You know, his girlfriend, I didn't even know was using. And I get the backstory on her. And she's been using since the age of like seven, eight years old. And I find out, like, I'm like, holy shit. I didn't realize that this girl was even using, you know, the girl he was hanging out with. But she was. And then, you know, I kind of met her family. And her family come from a long line of, uh, you know, substance abuse disorders. And they're just all, yeah. And I'm like, okay. It- Wow. Did she, did she, I'm yeah. guessing they're not together anymore? No, no, they're not together. She's actually, it's crazy because she's got her life back today and I'll see her every now and then on social media and she's getting everything oh, back. Cool. But yeah, it just, after that scare, I think like straightened me out, straightened, um, you know, like her and anyone else that was doing this, even my media friends, I didn't use hard shit with, I hid that from them. I was too ashamed of saying, hey, I'm doing crank over here. I'm doing, you know, hard drugs because my friend just smoked green. That's all they did. Um, yeah. So I was very, very, um, you know, I hit it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't want them to know what yeah. I was doing. Yeah. Where were you growing up at this time? Like, where was this? I was uh, Portland. So I'm from Portland, oh. Oregon. Yeah, and I grew up in Portland, southeast Portland, Oregon. And when this was all going down um, and happening, and so the city's changed dramatically already. But um, at the time, it's just when um, meth and amphetamines were all taking off. Like they, it was getting big, and Portland was huge for it, actually. And it was starting to take off and skyrocket. It was so big to the point that they took everyone's channel, if you were watching TV, and broadcasted an episode about it and about the, um, the, the meth labs that are being busted and the amount of uh, meth that has come through that city and basically just overtook it. You know, it it was insane, man. 
Yeah. That's crazy that they did that. Okay. So, so you continue though. Yeah. So I so sit like- there and it literally straightens me kind of out for a brief moment. And I'm like, I need to get my shit together. I need to do something. I can't use this shit anymore because here my brother goes to use this and it made him off the wall. So literally I start kind of going on the straight and narrow. I get in the job with the labor's union and I'm making really, really good money. I knew I wasn't going to go to college. I knew that, you know, I had no career, so I needed to do something. So construction was then my next option. And I was like, okay, I'm going to make really good money. The labor's union, you help all other trades. You do um, concrete work. We, I did a lot of underground tunnel work. Um, for these labor's union and me bank man at a young age and went through an apprenticeship program, which was super cool. My boss kind of took me under his wing and kind of like, you know, guided me and helped me graduate my apprenticeship program super early. And I was doing well. You could do so much with that today. Like I wish I knew how to do that stuff. Like I, I think that's so much more important than college. Like my degree means like nothing at this point <laughs> like i'm like thanks for spending all that money on me i had a good time partying with my sorority yeah. sister but um <laughs> but it had its downfalls it did it had its it, downfalls that came with it like literally i would still go out and get fucked i was drinking only at this point right and because I'm, i cut everything else out too scared to use anything hard and i'm drinking oh and yeah i'd be scared too yeah so i'm drinking and drinking i'd show up to work and say i'm not gonna do this again i'm hung over and i'd do it again that following night and I do it again that following night again and like show up and I'll never forget the day that I came into work one day, literally hung over off my ass, just plastered and I reeked of it. And I'd just been up all night and literally I felt like shit. And at the play at the time when you're an apprentice and everything, like you can't miss work. You have to be on your P's and Q's, mind your P's and Q's. You have to literally like, you know, you got to prove yourself to why they're going to keep you. So I show up anyhow, and I remember showing up and the boss telling me, hey, go work with, um, you know, Steve over there and go go hang out with Steve and go over there because you reek of alcohol, you stink, and I don't want any of the higher ups to see you, and I need you to go and uh, work over there. So I go over there, and I'm just dragging ass. They're like, shit, dragging ass. And I'll never forget it. Steve goes, here, I've got something for you. I go, what's that? He goes, just take this. It'll make you feel better. It'll sober you up. And better. And this thing he gave me was this magical blue pill that we all know is oxycontin 30s and yeah. literally gave me this magic move pill and when i took that i'll tell you what man that heightened my senses that heightened everything i was like whoa what is this felt great i have adhd so uppers are down and downers are uppers to me um yes. and that's exactly what it did to me and gave me this insane amount of energy to where i was like that is, is how you know that is exactly how you know it is so weird i that is exactly how you know most people that take like an oxy or even a you know a, like a percocet or whatever hydrocodone yeah they like will be tired right but yes. i was getting oxycodones and it gave me like it made me balanced with the perfect amount of energy exactly so <laughs> it solved every problem i've ever had in my life in oh, one yeah. little pill i drive so many of them it does. It heightens your senses, heightens everything else. And I'm like, what is this? I need more of this now. And I eventually would get so much from them to the point to where you start meeting other people, you start meeting connections, then you find other workers. Then I find out the whole construction crew, the only reason we're pushing through this hard labor construction is because half oh, no. of it are loaded in off of fucking oxys. Like literally, that's how half these buildings and shit get built. And that's the honest that's truth with it. So crazy. But I get it. That makes sense. It makes total sense. Yeah. Actually. And so like I needed more of this. What was this? 
And literally I was found myself chasing this right to the point. And then once I found out I could put it up my nose, I was like, Oh shit. Remember what grandpa said? Anything goes up the nose. It'll be okay. <laughs> so literally Were you ever an IV user. Was that? No, I wasn't actually. I was afraid of needles. Uh, the only time I ever used needles, I think is when I tried to do this, I had a brief moment of a year or two in steroids that did not work out for me. As you can see, I'm so skinny. <laughs> it didn't work out. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I mean, I yeah, you don't look your age. I know your age. I'm not going to say it on here, but like I was shocked when you told me how old you are. I think it's your dance moves, though. <laughs> you guys, if you want to see some cool dance moves, yeah, on it, TikTok. Age ain't nothing but a number. <laughs> ain't nothing but oh a number. Oh my god, dude, <laughs> age is just a number, right? 40 is the new 30. Mm -hmm. 30 is the new 20. Exactly. There you go. Yeah, it's no, so just like I said, I don't ever feel my age anyhow. And I've always had, like I said, a young heart. And it just truly, I still feel like a big kid is what I do, you know. Um, and I'm grateful. I love that. that yeah, that I'm able to do that. And even with my children, man, I'm able to still have that kid sense, you know, with them. So to that, so, okay, so you're pretty much living, You okay, you have this job, everyone's loaded, you start chasing oxies, okay, yeah. when do you meet, when do you have your kids, how does that happen, what, like? So by this time, I've already had my firstborn, uh, Mason, my oldest son, an amazing, amazing son, which is crazy because he's super smart, super good, and like, kids almost 18, and he's lit, man, he's a bright kid, um, I do, he's got a good future ahead of him. Yeah. He just really just nothing like me, um, which is crazy, totally opposite of me. So I love him too, Mason. I really love him. Yeah, it's a good strong name. That's kind of why I went with Mason. I liked it. I like good strong names, and that's yeah, it's like, man, this is a good, strong, like, I don't know, name. And I was working with some iron workers, and I remember hearing the name Mason with one of the iron workers, and I was like, This dude was a beast. And I was like, Man, yeah, but I'm gonna name my son. So yeah, by this point, I've had my oldest son. Um, and um, you know, I have a son by now, and then you know, me and his mom were split up because there was a time to where like his mom actually it was crazy when she was younger, she went right before um after she had him, she went down like the road of addiction herself. Um, and then I had him for a little while and then my mom helped me take care of him for a brief moment. Um, and I would go pick him up in between when I'd see my parents for a little bit, um, which wasn't, was short and few and beyond when I saw my parents. But anyhow, I had my son at that time. And then it's crazy because then all of a sudden I get kicked into where I try these oxys and my son don't know it, but yet I'm about to go down the road of active addiction and it only gets worse and worse from there. Um, and that's where my life literally spiraled all because of a blue 30. I truly, truly use those that. Are, those, oh God, those blue, me too, dude. Yeah. Blue, those blue 30s. And you know, today, what's dangerous about them that people don't understand is those blue 30s. They're not, you guys, what you need to understand is like me and him are a little bit older. So, like, they were really actually prescribing these, and people really did have real ones. Today, if yeah. you get a little pill with a blue M30, it is more than likely a counterfeit fentanyl pill. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's what it is. Facts. Yeah, Probably. you could get them back in the East Coast. There were pill mills. There's a time where I'll have to talk about it. But 
to where I was back at the East Coast, back in D.C., and you could go back to D.C., Maryland, Virginia, and you could walk into these places and say your back hurt, and they would just write you out of script. That's all you had to do is say, oh, my back hurts, because there's no way to detect back injury or back pain. So literally a doctor could write you one of these things, write you a script, and you'd be good to go and like, out the door just like that. And this is right before the, um, you know, DEA started cracking down on the pill mills is what they call them, um, basically, and you'd just be in and out. And then doctors started getting scared and doctors started freezing up because they could lose their license, you know, how they would prescribe them and whatnot. But well, I got cut off completely one day. My doctor had been giving them to me for like two or three years. Like, I think I would get 120 a mo- 120 30s a month. Yeah. And then for years. And then I started, I finally realized how much those things were worth on the street. Yeah. Um, and at this point in time, too, my guy, my two best guy friends who are brothers, they introduced me to heroin for the first time, and um, and they they were doing like twenty dollars worth of heroin. And my experience, I'm over here snorting like eight Roxy's, you know, and I'm like, and they're still more high, they're still higher than me. And then I realized, wait a second, these things go for thirty bucks a piece. Like, what am I doing? I should just start selling these, yeah, and then do that, you know, dollar and, a milligram. <laughs> Yep, the dollar mill. Yeah, exactly. Insane. Yeah, those things broke me. Like, took my checks. They wiped me out. At this time, I end up. By time I was getting hooked on these, I moved um, up to Seattle. I followed uh, the construction company I was with. Went up to Seattle. Started working up there. Then I, you just find connections. And everywhere you go, you almost find anybody in anything. Like, right? You're not afraid to ask or just seeing it. Like, you can spot it. I hate to say that. And I hate to say it sounds kind of like judgmental at the same time. But no, seriously, you can spot somebody and you can almost, you know, recognize when somebody has them or when they've got them. People talk. And once I found these things, even up there, I would, for a while, I was making trips back to Portland, actually, which Portland's probably a good three hour drive from Seattle. Um, and I would go down to get these literally in the same day and then come back with no sleep, go to work. And cause I could not function without them. And I was to the point to where once I found somebody up in Seattle, I was literally staying up there, dropping my checks on it, which sucks because by this time I've already met a girl, another girl, I'm about to have another child and I'm literally, you know, hooked on these things and they're taking my whole check and I would do it to the, I could buy the dealer out. Basically, what I would do is buy anyone out. Basically, meaning like Jessica, if you sat there and I knew that you were gonna go get them, I would oh, meet yeah, you to the dealer's house. Them. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I would meet. I would meet the girl at the pharmacy. One girl, mm-hmm. same girl, and she'd buy my whole prescription at once. It was great. Three, that couple thousand dollars, you know. Yeah, and I would, I what I would do though is so that they held onto them with me. I'd say, look, I'm gonna give you an extra three hundred on top of what I'm already buying. Like that's how desperate I was for these things and how bad I knew I needed them. And I would be sick or I couldn't function if I did not have them. And that's them the next time. That yeah. Get yeah. And yeah. so of course they would do that. That's an extra $300 profit. And people think, what the hell you're nuts. And then I've got my family back though in Portland that are suffering. Wondering why I'm only coming home with a hundred bucks in my pocket when literally I'm taking home three to four grand a week because this job, I'm making really good money at a young age. I'll never forget an old time. I said, you need to tuck it away, tuck it away. No, I was fucking blowing that shit like I was a rock star. Like as if I was some damn rock star, which I wasn't. I was far from that. And that's what I would do, just blow through this. And I was too embarrassed to even go home at times because my check was so small to where I slowly started losing my place. My um, By this time, like I said, I have a middle son now, uh, Cash, and him and his mom, 
have to move out of our duplex back in with his mom and i'm like full-blown like you know going and going darker and darker down uh the road of addiction and then to the point to where the job comes to an end i move back to portland and when i go back to portland um i'm having a harder time finding these now these things are getting harder to find um you pe- there are more people who are doing them so that's making it harder you know um everyone you knew was practically on these things and i was like fuck, what are these man like i can't or where are these i cannot find these i don't know where they're at and at this point which is um, crazy because like portland was portland like mm-hmm. i mean portland's like a city that's known for having a lot of yeah drugs. yeah you get it yeah you get it from california you get it from up north like it yeah the way it just it kind of like a mecca of going through portland and but it was just the amount of people that were doing them man and i found out i found friends i didn't even know they did them i found people that you would have never thought did them bosses superintendents you name it um moms dads sisters brothers whatever that were doing these things like these were a huge there was a huge era of those um that were going through that everyone was doing them but i got so bad to the point to where i couldn't i was having a hard time finding them and like i said my um my girlfriend at the time and my middle son now mom and i went in there to stay with her also because i had nowhere else to go because i lost her place so literally the mom is doing amphetamines and i find this out and she ends up giving me some and i do some and i'm like fuck this is so much cheaper to do meth if i do this so much cheaper than it is buying those pills and i can stay high and i i it was just something else it was just that also just like was like whoa what is this like well the perfect little combo for me whenever i like because because i actually i never like was into like uppers as much but someone made me a shot with meth and heroin mixed and i'll never forget that combo yeah no wonder i've had three open heart surgeries oops um yeah (laughs) i'm gonna laugh at myself it's not funny but i mean really um yeah i mean this stuff is that addicting and it's and so okay so you're living with her now you guys are both doing amphetamines had you gotten off of opiates completely she wasn't doing them no 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 my um my middle son's mother which her name is kayla by the way she no she's a good girl she was good yeah it was the mother before that uh, my oldest son's mom she's off of them she's clean now has my oldest son and literally my middle son's mom uh, kayla she's um she's good this girl is a straight good girl straight like straight arrow you know didn't do anything didn't smoke didn't do didn't do nothing and she was a you know like i said a really good girl and anyhow at this time she doesn't know it but i'm doing these you know i'm doing amphetamines with her mother and then her mother introduces me to a guy that lives within the apartment complex and i find out that this dude's a a dealer and he has a crap house within an apartment complex and literally i was catching myself over there every single minute of the day every hour of the day became good friends with this guy and little did I know this guy became my dealer through my whole active addiction. Um, and yeah, I'd find myself hanging out with this guy all the time to where I was never home or I'd sneak back in the house and or I'd be over there for three days in and she knew I was there, but she didn't have the heart to tell me, you know, or to leave me at the time, which she should have. She had every right to. You're talking, about, you're talking about Kayla? Yes. Yeah, okay. she didn't. Um, I knew she knew that I was, you know, not only hurting her, but you know, or my son too, Cash, like, you know, not being there, not being present. Right. And yeah, getting that severe. 
And that's probably something that, I mean, I'm sure that that is something that is hard to kind of like forgive yourself for, but I hope that you can, because that is like the story for so many people, um, dealing with, with substance use disorder. Like I, I really, I'm like lucky in the sense that I, my, the, the way I looked at it with my son, um, once I found out I was pregnant, I had already like ruined my life. And I, my life had been like, I had checked every box off like that I thought. Right. But I'd never been a mom. So I looked at myself as like failing at everything that I'd done before, but I'd never been a mom. And that was the one thing that I thought I was like, you know what, if this is, if I have any hope at all, this is it. This is what I can do. And, but not everyone not there's so many people that you know like I mean even my own mom my biological mom she never got sober for me I mean I know so many people that need to they still need to experience whatever it is and it's just eventually loving yourself right yeah it's finding that self-love within ourselves man and that's what I found love within the use of, like I said, drugs and alcohol. And what you don't realize too, is though the amount of people that it affects. I think this is something that like a lot of others, like I, at least I didn't think about this in active addiction, um, was that loving a person that suffers, we're going to say the word addict. Okay. okay. Because I was addicted to, yes, I was addicted to every little thing. I was an addict to any little thing I could get my hands on. Um, I became addicted to that. So there's this saying though, you know, loving or um, being an addict, we think is hard, but loving an addict, there's nothing harder than that. And the yeah, amount of people, yeah, the amount of people that you destroy and the families. And I don't think, I didn't think about that. When you're in active addiction, you don't think about that. You honestly, there was a time where I honestly thought that I was doing okay, right? Like I was doing fine. Like I wasn't doing any harm. I wasn't destroying anything, even though I was, I just couldn't see it. Right. Because I was so caught up in the way I wanted to feel and the way this feel good and this uh, like not feeling what I was going through of the pain that was hurting inside, not wanting to feel my darkest shadows and just and that's what amphetamines helped me do. It helped me take myself out of reality to where I had to face reality and um, I just needed this feel good. I always needed something in my system to make me feel good. And And did she eventually kick you out? Is that how you ended up on the streets or? Yeah, eventually the mom gets sober, right? The mom starts doing better. She sees me like spiraling because anything I've ever done, I take it tenfold. I take that thing and I go extreme with it. It's just right. how I've been. It's it's just the way I've done everything. I, I take everything and I make it so much bigger than what it is. And I take it to the whole another level. And literally I'm doing that and she's watching that, right? And she's getting to the point where she's watching my son because the mom's working. I'm not working. I'm collecting unemployment. You know, um, I'm not doing anything with my life to the point where she's like, you have to eventually go. You're going to have to go or do something if you don't get your shit together. Her, I'm taking care of your, you know, you're supposed to be your lady. And, I'm, you know, obviously her daughter, you know, I'm taking care of them and, you know, your family. And this is something you should be doing. And, you know, I'm not even seeing my oldest son. I'm literally just spiraling to the point that I get a phone call one day and I get a phone call by one of the bosses I worked with in Seattle. He went to Washington, D.C. and he goes, you know, I would like to um, fly you out. But he doesn't know that I'm in full blown active addiction. He has oh, no wow. idea that I'm even an addict. And I figured, OK, 
this could be my chance to get straight. This could be my chance to actually get clean. Um, this could be it. And the, you know, her mom, Kayla's mom talks me into saying like, maybe you should go, maybe this is good. I know. And I tried to make every excuse of like, oh, I don't want to be away from my family. Shit. I've been away from my family. I've been in the trap house for days on end. Like literally try to convince myself, Oh, I don't want to leave my family. I don't want to leave them. You and you know, I don't even get stuff out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was one of my biggest fears. I'm like, what was I going to be able to get? How was I going to get loaded out that way? But then there was a little part of me that said, you know, maybe this is a good opportunity to just get straight, to fly straight. And let's do that. Like when I go out there. So literally the boss calls me up, says, I want to fly you out, you know, next week. Um, and come this way. And of course I said, well, look, I need construction shit. I need construction clothes. No, 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 no. We'll get them when you're here. No, I need that. So he sends me money. What do I do oh with that God. money? Instead of buying it, I go and buy, I can't remember the amount, but it was a lot because I knew that I was not going to be able to find that over there. I didn't know anyone over there. And I went and, and blew that shit on amphetamines and meth. And I, then I just sat there and um, came up away, even when my dealer looked like, how am I going to hide this and get this through the airport? Not knowing that it's a federal offense to fly anything over state lines, um, or just to fly, like to take anything over state lines or to let alone fly with it. And so I and remember you're going never, from a state that's like, that was like the first state to legalize everything essentially, or decriminalize, whatever you want to call it. And now yeah, you're yeah. going somewhere. Where, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to D.C. I'm going to fly to D.C. They call it the DMV, which is basically uh, no, DMV. My- yeah, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. DMV. DMV, that's what it is. I'm going down to the DMV and literally flying that way. But I didn't know how I was going to get it. And actually, amphetamines weren't real huge back then, like over that way. They weren't like really big. I think they might have been around here and there, but they weren't at the time. Like eventually now they probably are, but... At that time, um, I don't remember. It was it was um, it heroin. Was it, was, it was it was heroin in powder. Form. Yes, yeah, heroin. Yes, in a powder form over that way is what it was. So yes. literally, we come up, scheme an idea to put this stuff in a flashlight inside of a flashlight, some freaking weird, fucking whacked out way of like hiding it. Put it in my bag, my luggage, which I was not going to carry on. I was going to just put the luggage on the plane. Um, and I remember I go and get loaded, but by the way, never fly high on meth. Please never do oh that because God. I'm telling you, it will heighten it 20 times. And it's, I don't know if it's something about being up that oh high in the sky. God. I don't know if it's about the lack of sleep and being paranoid to the point of where I'm thinking U.S. Marshals know, like, I'm going to get busted on this. Like my heart was racing the whole way, the whole flight there. Um, and you I'll never really carry that stuff on, by the way. It's yeah. You should have carried. It's a little bit riskier to check your bag, I believe. But yeah, just- I didn't feel like so. They opened it up. They looked. I had to take a couple things out of it because it was too heavy, and I didn't want to pay that extra fee um, of the weight. You know, that was my bag. Yeah, it's like fifty. So pounds, yeah. I was like, "Look, we're gonna take this. Throw this on. Boom! I'm not carrying this stuff on." Um, and then literally, I want to say that it's crazy because Portland's airport is stricter than dc's jfk's i think i believe it's jfk's airport uh jf kennedy and it's stricter than theirs and that's the insane thing about it was like what so i get so i literally fly this stuff on super paranoid by the way i had a layover too so it wasn't like a just yeah i think the layover was in um arizona at the time and so i do a layover there 
one knows the laws of Arizona, you don't fuck around in Arizona, right? No, so, you definitely don't. Please don't. No, I, it's I so a, strict. I have a felony in Arizona, or did. I don't. Well, I mean, I do. It's done. But yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Arizona has these crazy laws where um, they actually, okay, so they view, well, they view heroin. You're allowed to have. Uh, okay, an automatic sentence is if you have one, if you get caught with one gram of heroin, or you can get caught with, I believe, God, I had it written down because I talked about this. I think it's like 10 grams or something of methamphetamines. Well, luckily, thank you, God, those are automatic, like three year sentences. Um, yeah. And, and anyways, I got caught, thank God, with a little bit of meth. So under their amount, I guess that means that they like think heroin's way worse. I don't know, I guess, because only yeah. one gram of heroin, you know. But, like, I would have been so screwed, Ayers, but I got out of that. I mean, I had, was on – I got off of it. But, yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> you got to win. <laughs> I, 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 I pled. I went to them clean and sober. I will – my cleanup tour, dude, I could tell – I could give anyone on here some advice. If you've got some felonies, I can tell you. I can advise you. <laughs> on Going from active addiction to expert. Let's go. Yeah, let's talk about right? Dude, yeah. a lot of it comes down to accountability, though, but continue your story. Yeah. So basically, I fly this stuff across the, you know, borders, yes. not knowing that it's even a felony. It didn't even cross my mind because that's the thing about taking mind altering substance. You don't think you only think of one thing and alters your mind and your thinking to do things that you would never do. That's nothing till this day I look at now that I would ever do. Shoot, I went through the airport time. I'm like, oh, I got a pocket knife and I'm freaking out with that. But literally, I'm flying a practically ounce of amphetamines with me and I'll never forget it. I get off the plane. And I'm going to have, actually, it's crazy. My boss says, look, the safety manager is going to pick you up. I'm like, oh, great. He's going to pick me up. And we're going to give you a tour of the construction site. You'll be working. And he wasn't there right away when I got there off the plane. But I remember getting off the plane, sitting down, watching my luggage go around, right? Going around on the thing that brings your luggage out. And it's literally going around and around. And I'm oh, so no. paranoid. And I'm so freaking scared and paranoid out of my mind that I'm going to get busted as soon as I grab my bag. To the point that I made it look more obvious because it was the only bag on the little turnabout thing. And I'm like, what? Like, what am I doing now? Now there's no bags on there but my bag. So I walk up, grab it, get out of the way, scot-free. Nothing, no one even flinched an eye, no one said anything. <laughs> I probably made it look a lot worse than what it was. Well, it's just like being, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's that's meth or amphetamines, methamphetamines. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the paranoia is like a very real yeah. Thing. I it mean, doesn't I start off that way, you, though. I, mean, I would have taken some opiate. I would have yeah. chosen a different substance for the plane ride. Let's just say that's Yeah. Little... It's crazy because amphetamines actually don't start off that way. When you first start amphetamines, you feel like you can do so much and so many things on them. Yeah. You feel to the point that where I felt like I was literally getting everything done. I'm like my senses are heightened. I'm just on top of every little thing. And but I'm literally it, it, thinking it, I'm accomplishing shit. And it's a slow pays killer and then it starts eating your brain and start rotting away to the it point of the, yeah and then, then you the, can't even like think about like you have all these things and you know you like it's like and it does the opposite it like scrambles your brain yes right? yes to the point to where you get nothing done you'll try right. five projects and none of them will ever get done um you'll just seriously like it, it'll just take you down a road of where like, you know what I mean? It gets worse and worse and worse, but you don't see that eventually, right? Because I honestly got the energy from it. I couldn't get out of bed unless I rolled over, hit, had me a line, and I was good to go for the day. 
Um, that's the only way I was able to function then to the point of where I was so paranoid off this stuff that I kept it within my, if anybody knows male boxers, male boxers have, you know, the, the hole for your private part to come through. Oh. <laughs> and actually, if you, anybody that has boxer briefs and most of the men will know this, that actually that part goes way back and tucks way back. Right. I don't know why it does, but it's like a little stash spot. So that's where I would stash it because I was worried about my own person or my own partner I was with taking my shit or anybody taking my shit and my oh, stash. Wow. So I would hide it there all the time. Oh man, <laughs> that was the spot I put it at. You would have been like, "Oh man, yeah." I can only imagine. Like, I mean, I love you to death now, but like, it's like I can't imagine. Like, you like, oh, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Were you a window peeper too? Like, were you like a, like a? Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. To the point where you start. Yeah, that's especially as it got further, further down to the point to where I was literally. um you know, yes, I would get that paranoia. But for the longest time, I considered myself a functioning addict. I was functioning. I literally could function off it. That's why I was willing to go over there and work, even though everyone else around me knows that I'm just destroyed. I'm starting to lose my face. Um, my face is sinking in. The color. I'm surprised my boss didn't even know. And I literally get off, uh, like I said, the plane. I go down. Um, safety manager picks me up, gives me a tour. I meet my construction crew that I'm going to be working with. And I could swear some of those dudes knew I was loaded. They gave me a look like, damn, you're bringing this dude all the way from Oregon over here to work with us. And the boss goes, safety manager goes, all right, well, I'm going to have you come back in the morning, but I need you to take a UA. You need to take a UA before you can come start. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. I didn't think nothing of it. I don't even know why I walked down there. Instead of telling my boss, that, hey, man, I've got weed in my system or making some lie up, just saying I can't use my own piss, which he probably would have covered for me. Um, he was like that. He was cool as fuck like that. Um, to where he never used, though. He was clean. He did drink, but, you know, occasionally here and there. But he just he was pretty on the straight and narrow. But the other guys in that house, I know they did their fair share of shit. Maybe not hardcore shit like I did. Um they would do a lot of things blow and all that, but they would have probably helped me take this test. But I literally went in there just whistling away thinking I was okay to piss and it's not going to come up. Or if it does, I can make up some bullshit story where it's cough syrup or it's something that I took oh, that has it. And I literally take this UA and then I'm working with them for like three days, get pulled in the office by the safety manager, by my boss. And they go, you know, you failed for amphetamines. They go, what do you mean? They go, you failed for amphetamines. And I'm playing stupid, you know, playing the cards. Oh, like, nah, God. there's no way. There's no fucking way. You need to challenge that. You need to look into it. And my boss is believing me. He's oh, sitting there God. believing me. And um, literally, he's like, nah, there's no way Rich would do this. And oh, he's on that. And they're looking into it. Well, they did. They did. They did look into it. They did take that test and dig more into it. And they oh, said, no, God. you're on it. And he looked at me and knew. And he goes, man. He goes, it's saying you're in amphetamines. Now you're here, over here. What are you going to do? Here you live at a house with us because I lived at a house with him and his his kid. His kid was working for us too. Oh, and yeah, a bunch of people that travel all over. These I'm a, I became a tunnel rat. And basically, we do these underground tunnels. They're everywhere. If you go to tunneltalk.com, actually, you can find out how many tunnels are actually being done. In the United States, you'd be surprised how many that are being done. Um, but anyhow, I became a tunnel rat with all these other guys in this house. But here I fell to UA for amphetamines. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Um, I'm still doing the one that I had that I got over there and I had to go out and find another job. And it basically I did. I went out, looked up oh, a couple other tunnel water. jobs. Yeah. And I found another one and they made me a supervisor at this job, a foreman basically. 
And I was like, damn, they hired me on as a foreman, which I did have good experience. I know what I was doing. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been doing these tunnel projects. I did know my trade. And I will, that's one thing I'm, I'm pretty proud of myself for knowing that if I go out to one of the construction projects, I can run that fucking project. No problem. And no problem running that. Um, and I did. So it was cool. You can't run it high. Like, no, no. Be the most, <laughs> no. Like, the, like the most functioning addict, it always comes to an end. I'm sorry. Like it always yeah. comes to an end. A really shitty one most of the time too. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And the crazy thing was about it though, was I had other workers, right. That knew their trade. That's where I was grateful. I had an engineer that was always with me. My engineer literally signs the projects practically because it's his name on the line. If this something doesn't get built right or put together right. So it was kind of nice. I basically was babysitting other trades and overseeing them, making sure that they got met deadlines got met making sure that's basically all I did as a foreman. You're basically kind of guiding, you jump in every now and then, or you'd show them a faster like way a project, they didn't know it. What's that? Like a project manager type of game Kind like of, project. yeah, yeah. But I still had a superintendent to answer to. So basically my boss, yes, would be in the office while I was in the field overseeing everybody. And I was one of those guys that would jump in and help them out. You know, same thing. I'd jump in and just start doing it. So I'm literally working, find another job, make me a foreman, working with these guys. Um, and my boss too, I think one of the reasons they also hired me when as a foreman, because they didn't have the heart to get rid of some people that were no good. And they, that was one of the tests. They wanted to see if I could fire one of these, some of these people to see if I had it in me to fire them. Because it's hard not to become friends with these people right to keep my profession what it is yeah but here i'm an addict i'm straight up a fucking benamine ant, right like how no one knew i don't know um that i was going to these i would do this construction project and literally i was keeping guys because eventually my amphetamine started running out right what am i gonna do i'm like holy shit i'm getting low at this time i think it did run out to where what am i gonna get now like what i'm screwed that's how i found out about those pill mills well, they were cracking down on the pill mills. I only got a brief moment of those pill mills where I could go in and get those. And then I met other workers that I would keep around just because I wanted their script. And my boss would be like, these people suck. And I hate to say that, but they were shitty workers. Some of them just were. Not everyone. They were on drugs. That's yeah. why. <laughs> they were shitty workers. And he's like, why do you keep them? Drugs. <laughs> yeah. On drugs. That's yeah. exactly why. <laughs> and yeah. I'm keeping these guys because they're getting me loaded. You know, and I'm like, nah, the brother, he's good. He's a good worker. I know damn well he is, man. You don't see oh, it. God. You got a heart. And my boss, like, nah, these guys suck. What are you doing with these guys? And I'm like, just, oh my God. Yeah. So I would keep them. And then finally I had to let them go. And then I became really close with somebody there. Um, one of my operators, my crane operator. And he, and I eventually move away from my boss's house that flew me out there. I move out of his house and I move in with this crane operator that was actually supplying me. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just stop you really quick before you say this. Yeah. Please tell me that the guy operating the crane is not like. Yes. He's taken, he's at the time taken Oxy30s, <laughs> 80s or whatever. He oh, had a script. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I started getting them from him. Oh. Yes, these are guys operating a crane that would put us in a basket that would fly us oh, over these no. tunnels. And literally, <laughs> yes, yeah. You know why the safety, the why they're so hard in construction and you see safety signs everywhere? This is why. Oh <laughs> this my is God. exactly why. Yeah. But you know what? He was good at what he did. I trust him. Okay, I'm guy. sure. Okay, of course that I makes did. Me, just uh, makes me feel so good inside. Okay, so wait, so let's fast okay, so let's fast forward. <laughs> 
So you keep doing this. You're moving in with the crane guy. Okay. How long yeah. before you like, like, do you get sober in DC or do you get, no, when do you get, like, what makes you get sober? Like what brings you to that point? What brings me to the point of getting sober? I literally went down the road. I got deeper and deeper in DC of addiction to the point to where I ran out, started doing pills, started doing um, H and because the crane operator's son did it. And then, like you said, came in a powder form. I started doing right. it. Anything I get nose? further and further. Yeah. And that's when I did H, but I didn't like it. It just wasn't, I didn't like it, but it was I really was doing it. In a it was really yes. strong up there. Yeah. Where I was literally missing work, getting sick. And it's just straight up progressing to the point to where I make up a lie. And I'm like, I need to get back home somehow. Like I'm not paying rent, paying bills there. Like I'm straight up about to be homeless in the streets of DC. And to the point to where I make up a lie and I say that my firstborn Mason's uh, mother, I said that she got in a bad car accident. Oh my God. And my goal was actually to go and actually get money because I needed to pay rent and I was going to get money and drugs with it. But I'm like, I go in there and I break down and said, listen, man, my mom, you know, my oldest son's mother, she's been in a bad car accident. I don't know if she's going to make it. Like, I literally was in there crying, like, you know, breaking down to them and said, look, I need to, you know, send her some money um, or I need to buy a plane ticket and go back that way. And I was hoping that they would cut me a check. No, they pulled me in the office. I have a couple hours later, says, look, you're on the next flight to Portland, back to Portland, you know. Um, you're with tomorrow morning and i'm like oh shit that didn't work out okay i have no money no nothing but then i knew that this was my opportunity to get the hell out of here get the fuck back um get oh, back to yeah. portland and maybe i can do better and get back on the road you know and start getting back because i'm sick and literally i was sick on that plane i remember trading someone a seat to set in the back was in and out of that bathroom just sicker than shit and this is where i think like it hurts the most because i fly back i walk up to my oldest son's mom's house and remind you i haven't talked to my son i haven't seen my children my family nothing i'm over there just was fucked off when i was over at dc and i literally go in my son's so excited to see me my oldest son he's super excited he's like dad dad like he hasn't seen me Dad is sicker than shit, though. Oh, Dad, no. you not move. I'm sick. I can't even function. And it's like, what's going on? The mom's like, what are you doing? What are you doing over here? And I said, oh, I'm back just visiting for the time. The mom knew. I think she knew. But I was like, I need to sleep right now. And I need to just sleep. Basically, I crawl up in my son's bed. And I'm withdrawing, right? And I'm going through it withdrawing. And my son's like, Dad, can you get up? Get up. I'm like, Daddy feels good. Dad don't feel sick. One thing I will give my children's moms always said that i was sick daddy's not well daddy's not well like they until dad like gets well they took they yeah covered no you. no they did they did too awesome. and it was the hardest ever like you don't see the broken heart when you don't call they don't you don't see the little face that i see when you don't show up or when you make a promise and you break these promises or just not being present or you don't see them when i take them to school and all the other kids dads are showing up to pick them up you don't see that, you know, of like that thinking my son has a dad, but he's not even present, which I wasn't. Addiction was so fun, had me so screwed up to the point that I wasn't present as a person. Um, and I just, you know, went through that sickness in his bed to the point that it got bad and bad to where I found enough energy to get up. 
And I found this ounce of energy to get up. And I was like, I need something in my system. Jessica, I was like, I need something. I can't stay sick like this. And my son was excited to see me get up. And I'll never oh, forget God. it. We had a long driveway. His mom, the house she lived at was a long driveway. And my son's like, oh, you want to get up and play with me and get up? I said, daddy, we'll be right back. I'll be right back. Daddy just has to go, have to go do something real quick. I'll be right back, son. And he was so excited. Had his backpack on, wanting to go with me. But I couldn't take him with me to the trap house. I couldn't take him where I was going. And <sighs> fuck, I'll never forget like this. And I still, this is probably the hardest thing to forgive myself for, right? The look on his face of me walking away and just walking away, not fucking and him begging just to me to stay, to play with him, just to be a present father. And it just sucks, man, because that's what I'm saying. It, it was, I was too selfish to see that. I was so selfish and so caught up. And these things have a hold of me so fucking bad to the point that my own children are not stopping me. My you own know, children. You know they, and yeah. I know, like, I can tell, like, because that makes me, like, I, like, can, like, you have, like, you just painted, like, a picture in my mind of, like, that, like, moment. But I will say, yeah. kids, like, like, now, guess what? You are present. Like, my mom never became present for me, if it makes my mom disappointed me after time after time again. I always like thought it would get better, but my mom yeah. never did get better. But you have gotten better. So you gotta give yourself a pat on the freaking back for that because that is like that is something to be proud of. And I know moments like that will burn in your brain. There's things that I've done too that are that you know burn in my brain. But yeah. guess what? Like you can be he has the right he has the rest of his life and you have the rest of your life to be present for him. I feel like those moments burn in our brain to remind us of what we will lose, what we yes. will lose all if we pick back up and we go back. Like I, you're exactly right. And I know that. And it's, it's nice to be a present father. It's nice to be there. But the crazy part was that even then it didn't stop. I literally left, stayed at the trap house and became homeless at this point. And I fought addiction back and forth, back and forth with it. Right. Like just straight up, not present that day. And I got deeper and deeper to the point to where I want to unalive myself that I walked to my um, Kayla's house, my middle son's mom's house, and I asked her to let me in the bathroom. And I said, can I use your bathroom? And she's like, damn. She knew I looked like shit. The look on her face was like, damn, this dude strung out. I've been on the streets and I'm literally almost living out of a backpack, straight up living out of a backpack. Um, and I go to the mom's house and I literally want to take my own life. And I just was ready to just end it all, right? And I tried to do that by taking some natural amount of amphetamines, hoping that I'd have a heart attack or something. Um, but it did fall on the floor. The mom finds me in there, sees drugs laid out, like all, all over the counter, and calls, finds a way to contact my family, which reminds you, I've not really had much contact with my family through all of this. Um, and my parents I said, you need to come get your son. Your son just tried to take his own life. I don't think you realize how bad an addiction he is. Um, and that's when I had my family come down and try to give me another chance. And said, so, look, we're going to give you another chance. You can move with us. So I literally moved two hours south of Portland to a little beautiful city called Eugene. And I moved down here to try to get away to get myself straight to get clean because I just didn't want to fill anymore. I didn't care if I even lived like at this point to where I was just, that's how deep of addiction I was. I did not want to live anymore. 
Um, I wasn't loving who I was. It just, it was just you, you know, I relapsed a couple times. I didn't even get it straight when I came here. There's this thing that says everywhere you go, there you are. If you want this bad enough, you'll do it. If you want it, and if you can't even do it for yourself, do it for something that if you, you can want until a you little can. Bit more, yeah. With, you just have to want anything. I don't care yeah. what it is. A little bit more that day than you want drugs. Anything. Yes, yes. And you know how I knew it was final. Like this was the final straw when I finally was able to find recovery and start getting on this road of recovery. You know how I knew because I didn't go and get loaded one last time. I, I sat there, broke down because here I'm in another place, relapsing again. I cannot get clean for nothing. And I find it. I find it in another city. But then I remember just being broken still and saying, man, I feel every amount of pain now. All that pain I was trying to cover up and all of that hurt and that trauma, I feel that. Now I feel that 20 times more and 20 times stronger. Now that pain is reminding me of it, flashbacks of all the trauma, of the sexual abuse, of the domestic violence I've seen in my life, all the just sexual assault that I had my stepdad do on me. Like, it was fucked. Like, literally, I'll never forget it replaying over in my head to the point that I was like, damn, I don't even... Drugs aren't working anymore. They're not covering up that pain. I'm feeling that pain and that hurt 20 times and more. I was crying. Yeah, I would That's use crazy. and cry. I would cry and break down as soon as I used. Like, I would start crying again. Like, why I couldn't get this? Well, it was guilt, too, at yes. that point. Sure. Like, so, I do on. do treatment, though. I start walking down the road, Jessica, and I'll never forget it. I walk down West 11th, which is a good five or six blocks. And I'm like, my family's about to kick me out. I already know it. I'm going to be back on the streets of Eugene homeless. And I said, I got three options, three options. And I'll never forget it. I sat on this little brick wall on this corner and I'll never forget it. I had three options. I was like, either I'm going to take my life right now and nobody will even know I'm gone, which that option was stronger than most of them. <laughs> and I was like, no one even know I'm gone. I'm not even present anyhow. So what's the difference if I'm gone? Or I can go hit a lick at this store and get locked up and get clean. And that's what I'll do. I'll go take this store for what it is and go out with one big last bang. Or I walk my ass to Serenity Lane. There's a treatment center that I knew was down there because I remember passing it in the vehicle to my parents. And I checked myself in and check myself in and get help. And I literally took the option and I kept walking and I kept getting closer and closer to that treatment center. And I walked my ass in that treatment center and literally we're about to close. And I went in there. I'm so fucking proud of you. Like, yeah. I just want you to know that. Thank you. Thank you. That is, that. Is, that, is, this the, is this like the final, like, you got clean? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh, there, I mean, there's so much more yeah. to this. I could go on and on. I but, know, but like, I know, but that no. is just like. Here's where that, it really changes life and things start turning around to where like, fuck, you gain your life back and you start becoming proud of the person you are. And yes, I, the treatment stayed open for me. They literally stayed open for me. That was the universe. Right. That was a God shot. That was the universe saying, hey, we're going to get this guy the help he needs. And I had a counselor really take me under my wing. Right. And remind you, I'm in a paranoid psychosis, though, when I did this. I don't talk about that. I haven't discussed it. But paranoid psychosis is basically where you feel as if the world's out to get you. But I'm in a paranoid psychosis. But at the same time, I'm wanting to get clean because I'm fucking scared for my life. I'm just I'm sad. I'm broken. And I walk in and they kind of take me under my wing. And they said, look come back these three days out of the week and was what we're going to do. And the counselor knew that I really wanted it. I'll never forget it. The counselor said, you know, 
I get people, this is a revolving door at times. These treatment centers, they come and go. They're either here because of, you know, mandated jail reporting or they're here because of probation. Or they're here because of family forcing them. But to watch somebody to walk in, yeah, and say, help uh. me. That was that. And I said, okay. So I walk in. He helps me. Remind you, I am paranoid. I mean, look up paranoid psychosis of anybody that doesn't know what that no, is. I mean, it's like gotta be i mean it's just something that happens with yeah specifically you know methamphetamines yeah yeah bad but bad. it but i had it for three months and then it went away like it's crazy how it slowly faded away but did i still showed up place like was this an was this an inpatient or did, no was it, is this where you got your mat meds is this is it, no it wasn't an inpatient place i was freaked out I didn't get my mat meds. They didn't even know I was on mat meds. I didn't get those till after these three months. I got them when I was going on my fourth month of being clean. Um, after the paranoia psychosis started wearing off, I was afraid of relapse. I was literally there in treatment and it was outpatient. By the way, inpatient treatments are so expensive and they had a nice one here. They had a community one here in Serenity Lane that was nice out in Coburg. And I wanted to go to that one. I knew I couldn't afford that. There's no way I could afford it. So I had to do outpatient. I would literally go to treatment, lock myself in my parents' basement, go to treatment, lock myself in my parents' basement. Yeah, but that basement. is, you know what? You know what? I actually think that's like more impressive. Like we got a God shot to get sober too. We were about yeah. to get kicked out of our hotel room and we had like 10 minutes left. My husband's family calls. They know that like I, I had just gotten out of the hospital. I was on methadone. And I was like really about to be struggling because I couldn't like I missed the bus to get to the methadone. It was a whole shebang. Anyways, and so yeah. they call and they're like, "We're gonna give you guys one chance to go to treatment. You have to find the treatment, get on, get there, whatever." And we were like, and I was like, "We got to do it. We have to do it. We're doing yeah. it." And that's like you know, and we never look back. And but yeah, I, I really believe that you become sick and tired of being sick and tired. There is a point yes. where people reach. You know. Yeah, and, there and is. No do it you have it's, to want it it's that desperation of wanting to love yourself that desperation of wanting life and to gain everything back so much more than you do want to use it's that desperation of knowing that i don't want to fill this void anymore i want to fill it with my own self-love i want to love who i am as a person i want to become that person that was supposed to be that father that's supposed to be there for his children so I literally yeah. go three months. They used me as a success story there and treatment. And they kept me there an extra two months. I'm out of the paranoid psychosis. I go get on mat meds because I'm afraid of relapsing because I was a chronic relapser. I literally, I would get a week, boom, relapse. I'd get a couple of days, relapse. And I don't even really know if I call those relapses. I guess I necessarily should say that those were me trying, but I didn't try hard enough. So I no, get I on agree. Like, I, I would say that I've never really like relapsed, even though I've tried yeah. to quit, but like, once I but I don't think I really like I tried to quit at home you know what I mean or like try to like yeah by myself but it was like I've not, but once I went to treatment I never relapsed if yeah makes, you know what and, I mean like really relapsed and I knew the last two months there that Serena wasn't going to UA me right because I was there by voluntarily and they let my insurance covered me to go for two months and it was kind of cool because I was able to help with a class and treatment don't get me wrong treatment is good for most it's not for everybody but all treatment did was teach me how it worked on my brain that's all it did treatment only taught me how it worked on my mind and my brain and it was a place to give the clear to give me enough clear thinking of seeing that I was worth this life it got me out of my own way to see that I was worth it. It was a place to just hold accountability because no one was going to believe me. But you know what the crazy thing was? I didn't tell anyone that I was getting clean. 
My family didn't know. No one knew. My ex is nobody. Why would I tell them? Because I've told them so many times. I only lied. And I I got tired of like telling somebody and not actually following through with it. So you just walked the walk and eventually yes. you saw they yes. they saw it in you. Yes. And that's like, yep. They're like, damn, there's a change in him. What the hell's going on? It's yeah. crazy because those three months I got invited to send my family to they had a day to where like they were talking about Al Anon where you can bring family members in and people of addiction, or you can and like if they want to do these classes. And I wanted my mom to go so bad. But I had a stepdad, Bobby, the good stepdad, and I'm not the abusive stepdad down the road, but anyhow, come with me. And they're like, what? What do you mean treatment? What? Like, and I said, literally, I'm checked into treatment. They're like, okay, what? Like, because I would hide in the basement. I didn't have much interaction. They were like, were they so proud of you, though? Yeah, they were. But my mom at the same time was like, I don't know why she never went with me. I really wanted my mother to go more than anything. And I think at the time, my mom was kind of a closet addict, you know, whatever. She did her little Adderall and whatever she did. And maybe that's why she didn't want to go. I don't know why she didn't want to go. Maybe she was too tired. I don't you know. know. Maybe she just didn't want to like yeah. literally mad me that quote. Like he's he's because he won't watch my recovery stuff. Um, yeah. He's not proud of me, but he's like, you know, God put two eyes, two eyes in the front of our heads. We can look forward and not backwards. And he doesn't like to talk yeah. about. Yeah. And I know my mom's kind of proud. Like I know she is because, you know, but yeah. there's some things that she sees within my videos and my TikToks where in some of my TikToks, I'll get raw and honest about my past. And she's like, damn, I didn't really know this. I didn't know that you went through this. I knew that I knew ste- your stepdad abused you, but I didn't know it was to that severity. And I go, I never talked about it because I would get beat. If I talked about it. So she I didn't probably tell probably has anything. a lot of guilt too, though, sadly. Yeah. You know? She's a good, like I said, my parents are still good. Even though we don't vibe, they're still good people. And it's nothing wrong with that. That's just, you know, my relationship, which maybe down the road, it'll, there's things are always repairable. I truly believe eventually. And some things stay broken and that's okay. If they stay broken, like if they do accept that, right. Accept the fact that they're broken. That's all right. Don't let it affect you. So yeah, I did the treatment did five months and graduated. But then I was like, what am I going to do after this? I'm on that medication. Where do I go? They said, walk into a room full of other people that are going to want the same needs and wants. And I'll never forget it. I was so fucking scared to walk through this because I didn't know where to go. And it was a meeting and an A meeting. And I'll never forget standing at the end of this alley. The NA meetings, by the way, if anybody knows, they might be in some nicer areas, but most of them are in the hood. So I'm back in the hood, which Eugene doesn't really have much of a hood, but it's hood for Eugene. And and I'm like afraid to walk into one of these meetings and literally continue my life of sobriety now, right? I'm afraid to start walking in, but because these bikers, because it's a rough looking crowd. I gotta admit, us coming act, some of us are rough looking, right? Gotta yeah. remember, not everyone there is clean. Not, some people are, some aren't. Dude, was, there's dealers that hang out outside of meetings or yes. clinics because like they know that people like. Yeah. And it's crazy because I'd walk the streets at three in the morning, not scared of nothing. I'd walk the streets three in the morning in the most darkest of dark neighborhoods of Portland. And yet I'm afraid to walk in and I didn't want them hugging me. I didn't want them touching me. I didn't want nobody near me. So literally I walk in and the lid sat down and started going and I kept returning because it gave me something to do and kept returning. And I did the damn thing. And by this time, um, I started, you know, finding my life and just getting it back slowly and gaining all these things back. It was just 
crazy. Did you start TikToking? When did you, at what point in your sobriety did you start your TikTok? So I've been on TikTok, I want to say about two years. So I've got sobriety five years going on, five years, eight months. So I want to say two years ago, I started doing it because what happened was I was doing meetings and then someone said something to me, or in sponsor, I should say, which I look at it as a good thing now. At the time I wasn't, I was pissed off and my ego and pride and all that was mad at it. And he told me I'd relapse if I stopped going to these meetings. And I was fucking pissed that he said that. And I was like, who the hell is this guy going to tell me I'm going to relapse? Which looking back at a couple of things, I can see why. Like he said that a couple of things I've almost got close to like, but at the same time, you still don't tell someone that, but either way. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know that that approach is necessarily. No, right. no, no. There's probably easier ones. Yeah. I told him to fuck yeah, off. And just probably, uh, yeah, there's probably some better. Yeah. He could have said. <laughs> yeah. I could have thought of another other, a hundred other things to tell somebody, but anyhow, yeah. I don't know if it was a reverse psychology thing and he knew. No, I was gonna be like, oh, he probably bro. just didn't. Uh, I don't know. It's don't old know. school. That's old school though. That's oh, old school is. way. Yeah. That's just how they are. And that's fine. That's fine. Nothing wrong with it. But literally I stopped going to those and then I'm just kind of going along, getting my life back. I'm not doing anything for my recovery though at all. I'm just staying sober. That's it. I'm just staying sober. I'm not even recovering. I wouldn't even call it recovering. Recovering to me is getting yourself back and fixing parts within myself. I still had character defects. I still had parts, which we are human. And this is the journey. That's the beautiful thing about recovery is we don't have to get it done all in one day. We can do this over the course of time. And literally I was, you know, just that. I just wasn't picking up. I wasn't using or anything. So eventually I find a little app called TikTok. And I'll mad. Yeah, and you took that app and ran with it, but you know what? I've seen <laughs> it saved it my life. Uh, you know, you and it's so funny because there's a really dark side to, um, to social media, but there's also yes. a really awesome side. Yeah, like, social media can either build you up or destroy you, and it can. And it and think about right, kids that go that go on it though. So think about like the comments that people like you and I get. Yeah, like, think about if I was like a kid, you know? Yeah, how hard that would be that's like the only thing i always think about that i'm like man i hope that this like the bullying and the other side of it yes there's sides of it where you have to take what you can and get but they make a beautiful button today and i do that with life and everything and this button is pretty awesome it's called block block motherfuckers <laughs> out my life today I block them i'll block you out my life i'll block you this out out my life if you do not suit my shit and if you you're here to bring me down and not build me up or you are here to drag i will not be dragged down with your misery and your pain and for the longest time it was hard to find that button right and to take some of that but dude i've never blocked anyone and everyone else around me is like my no, block list is huge <laughs> no i know everyone tells me to do it because like well but you know i've noticed i am gonna start i think now that i know that so many other people block people Maybe I just yeah. next meme comment. I get you guys. You're getting blocked. Okay. You know the ones I don't block though are the ones that really, really don't like my shit. And it's very rare that I don't, but I do have a couple. You always everyone gets them. We all have them. You ain't doing something if you don't have them, right? You don't have haters. But those ones that really envy you, I let them watch me win. Straight up. I let I them watch me that. win and keep watch watching. And I don't block That's you. That's right? a whole yeah, yeah, you're gonna watch me. I think I made a TikTok. Have you used that that TikTok sound? I'm gonna let you watch. Like, what is I've it? Seen that sound, yeah. 
Yeah, I love it. It's like you're gonna watch me win, bitch. Like, yeah, that's exactly it. You're gonna watch me win, and you're gonna watch me succeed. You can either take a lesson, or you can sit down with the rest of them, right? And that's straight up it. And that's how it is today for me. Like, honestly, and I've had, but that app though has had a lot of good. But with the blessings of that app is, and what it's helped is. When the ones are in your comments or the ones that message you that said, thank you, you helped me get by another day. I don't think it's your experience. And I don't show everything positive on TikTok. I don't believe that. That's not reality. Positivity reality is, is not. That there's a lot of sad, hard yes. times behind it. Yeah. But we like to like show the positivity because that's like you want to bring. If you're in recovery, yeah. you're trying to bring something good to the world, I would like to think. Yes. And yes. I mean, Sometimes being just straight up and being like, dude, there's, you know, just because you got sober doesn't mean life gets easy. Okay. That's no. like, you know, that's truth. That's just true. Yeah. But I, I got one of the best comments I've ever gotten um, yesterday in a message or the day before it was okay. a girl and I think her name was Tiff, I think. Yeah. Um, and she messaged me and she goes, Hey, I just want to let you know, I absolutely love you. I've been in the hospital for endocarditis for like months. I'm getting yeah. to go home tomorrow and I've watched every single one of your hospital videos and like they've kept, they've helped me kill time. They've like kept me strong. Like yes. thank you so much for making those. And I'm yeah. like, damn, like that, like to me, like it almost like makes me want to cry. Cause it's like, you know, sometimes I wonder if anything I do is even like making a difference. But, like, yeah. that is one of the hardest, like, me be, being in the hospital, those are some of the more traumatic moments that I can, like, think back to. And I, if, if that helped her. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that's all people have. You got to think of it this way. There's parts of this world and places that where they don't have a meeting to go to. They don't have a connection to go to. Or they're fighting their family inside. And all's they're, all they have is their phone, right, to look at, to get a little inspired, to know that they're not alone. To know that they never have to do this again alone. And that's that connection of not feeling alone is just one of the best feelings you can ever fucking have. And, and it's TikTok crazy. Does offer that, you guys. Like yeah. if y'all ever need um, if anyone on here is listening to this and you have not like you have not tried like 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 literally hashtag recovery, hashtag you know, recovery rock stars, hashtag we do recover. Like hashtag whatever. never alone. Hashtag yes, life is yes. good, recovery and inspiration. That's mine. Yes. I started in a brand and it's life is good, recovery and inspiration. Because life is good even when it's not good. Yes. It is. It if, sure if you're is sober, it is. it is. If you're sober, yes. it is. So, you know what, guys? Like, if you really, if you have not, like, like, if you've not reached out on that platform looking, there's like a hardcore group of recovery people that will sweep you up, whether it's, you know, and there's different forms yes, of recovery. There are. There are so many different forms. Okay. And like a lot of people will would probably be surprised that me and James like kind of like jive as much as we do. But like the reason we do, in my mind, is because we're both pretty level headed. We both understand yeah. that that you can recover in multiple ways. Like there's, you know, there's complete abstinence. There's um Matt. There's yeah. Cali sober. There's you know, a faith-based recovery, there's all different kinds. Okay. Yeah. It's um, a way of us both not knowing that we need to force our wills and our ways or experience. We can always experience with, but if someone else's opinion is different than us, I don't have to destroy someone for it today. I just I don't I need just to push that into your head that you need to see my ideas and opinions. That's what makes the world so great today is because we have different ideas and opinions of one another like that. Do you imagine the world all being thought the same or even with the recovery, how boring that would be? 
That's what makes it so unique. It is. It's what makes you unique because you know what? Most of the people, I'm not going to say most because I have some like, I mean, one of my best friends that was on here before, she's literally an uh, an addiction medicine specialist. Okay. So she prescribes MAP medication. I, what me and him are talking about, by the way, is that like, is that there is like a big group of people that um, are on MAP medication. And then there's a lot of people that prefer not to be. I'm not on it, um, but that was a choice. But I also am not judgmental of anyone else's like. What is the term me. for MAP medication? Maybe you can break it down for him, like to what uh, it is. Okay, so MAP medication is me- medicated, medicated, or medication-assisted treatment. Okay. Yes. What that means is essentially, like it most of the time, what it is is people that are dealing with. I would say opiates most of the time, but I don't know if they're, I don't know if it's used for. It's used things. for pain too. It's used for a lot of yeah, people. Some times get it for pain. Shoot, mine were amphetamines at the end and I used it just to take myself out of something, just to feel something right. Of knowing that this it gave me that placebo effect, but it actually started working to the point of knowing that I'm taking this and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm taking this and I know that I'm, I, I'm not going to go back out. But you know, the crazy part is I could actually go back out and use amphetamines if I wanted tomorrow and still taking this medication would not stop it. Like it would, no, it, wouldn't stop the amphetamine, it, stopped. But it does, it yeah. does have partial Opiate. blockers for yes. opiates. And that's yeah. where like, the, that's where it's so helpful for people dealing with like fentanyl or heroin or any kind of opiate. It does. I mean, and you know, the reason I, so whenever I got sober, there was really only like kind of methadone and Suboxone. Methadone for me was like, they used it for me the last couple of days in the hospital and it was like literally hell. And so I, I, that's like, that was my experience. And then I did a short term Suboxone taper as soon as I got to treatment, it was like two weeks and then I was done. Um, but uh, there's people that are on it for long periods of time and that's totally fine. There's new medications that have come out such as Vivitrol sub- sublocated their shots. Um, yeah. there's different types, right. And it's evolved. And I don't know enough about those because those weren't really like an option for me anyways. Me but I just, yeah. So, I mean, you know, there's different ways, but I guess our point of this, of, of saying this is that there's a lot of ways you can recover. There's a whole community that's willing to help you. And honestly, like if you need help, you can reach out. I'll put both of our TikTok handles on there. I'll put my email. Um, I'll yeah. put his. If well, actually, send me the um, link, James, to your yeah. page for um, you know uh, your brand. Yeah, and- you can you can uh, find me like I said up on TikTok, Facebook. I'll I'll give you both. Right, my Facebook is Richard James Lewis. I went I go by James guys because that is my middle name, and I didn't know how TikTok was gonna work out, and I was kind of like afraid of like giving my first name, and I'm like I don't know about this about giving my name, and I don't know how this is gonna work, but little did I know it took off and. I'm able to use it for the greater good. That's what I did. Once it took off and it sit and like literally it did. It helped me find recovery and stay in recovery to the point where it's got connections and Zoom meetings, links if you need any of those, right? I do open recovery Zoom meetings. Yeah. He has all that. But hey, James, do me one favor. Guess what? What? Don't don't fucking put... God, my friend Dana, I told you, do not give your fucking phone number on here. No, she I won't give her number phone number out. She gives yeah. her cell phone out. I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, everyone. You can message me on Messenger is what I'm yeah. saying. I'm like, wait a second. You did not just give out your personal cell phone number. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, I know you're going to kill me. You think it's crazy. I'm like, yes. 
Yeah. Yes, I'm, but you know what? She also, like, I met her at the drug patch place. She was getting hers off, and I was getting mine on. And I was, like, such a wreck. And I was, like, I tapped her, and I was, like, yeah. can you help me? And, you know, she's just one of those people. And a lot of people in recovery are. But James is one of them also. But the beautiful thing about not ever getting a felony was that, oh, and don't get me wrong, I just never got you. caught. It wasn't that I didn't do it, is I have the legal right to carry. <laughs> and I, and Dude, I do. James. Oh, <laughs> yes. I'm so hey, I get mine back though, because guess what? The coolest thing about the state of Texas is yeah. that they automatically give you your um, right to carry automatically back. It's like one of like very few states that do. Yeah, I started carrying it because I was worried about past shit that I did. I did past shit with some people, some bad people, put it that way, to the point that that's what it was. It was that fear of like, fuck, man, they're going to come looking for me and then come to find out. I don't. Yeah. I love everybody today, though, more than anything. So he really does. He's like so awesome. And (laughs) like we've been on like me and him could probably talk for like ever but we'll have him back on again. He does a bunch of youth stuff right now, um, helping with harm yeah. reduction youth. And that's yeah. kind of like, that's like his specialty at the moment. But he really is like a kind soul. There's nothing that like, I, I mean, Thank he's just very open. No, you are. And um, um, if you need help, you guys, you yeah. can always reach out to me, him. I, we, we have people like, mostly I've got people, actually I have people on both coasts. And I'm in the middle. So there you go. Like I've got lots of people. Um, One thing I want to say though, if you're listening in and you're really listening to this, be easy on yourself. Allow yourself to fail. Allow yourself to fall down, but we don't call it falling backwards. We call it falling forward in recovery. You fall forward. It's okay to fail. It's okay if you don't get it right on the first time. It's okay to actually, you're human. Like it's okay to do these things, but be easy on yourself. I think we're so hard on ourselves. And that was one of the hardest things just got out of all of this was trying to be easy on myself and love myself and say, you know what? That's okay today if I don't get it right today, because I can start my day over at any given moment. I can start in my day for any time I want. I'm the narrator of my story. And now I have control of the point where I'm going to be the one day. I love my ending. Well, maybe I need to counselor this week because um you know <laughs> on myself i am like trying to figure out if because my background has like followed me and um yeah. so I'm trying to figure out you guys like seriously i'm like beating myself up about you know um realize that if it doesn't just if it wasn't if it doesn't go the way you thought like i try not to put expectations my super high right not saying that you are but at times when i set my expectations so high for myself I would knock myself down. I set little expectations, little simple expectations. Say, you know what? If it doesn't come out and like as if you're where I know you're super worried and you're sweating it, but girl, trust me, just hear me out on this. If it doesn't, there's gonna always be that other door. There's a reason that the universe is saying, nope, this isn't that door for you yet. And that's only so you can succeed. I was a sober bartender for years, right? And people are like, why didn't you get in recovery? Why didn't you get in recovery? Why aren't you working in recovery field? It wasn't the right time. I would have been no good at that time. So that could be the same for you. Like at this time to where maybe it's not that right time. Not saying that it's not going to happen and it's not going to go through. I truly believe it will. I have a really good feeling. I'm I'm thinking that like I told God whenever I, I, one thing that I did is I, when I got sober, everyone asks how I, I honestly don't know how I prayed harder than I ever have in my life that God would take away 
my desire to use drugs. And I swear to God ever. And I prayed all the time. That was my prayer. I was like, please help me not want them. Just help me not want them. Right. And, and that was like my thing. And he did take that desire away. So I told him I would trust him in every decision that, and everything that comes my way. And I, I've gone through a lot of stuff, um, since getting sober and I keep believing that, you know, whatever's meant to happen is meant to happen. I am like, you know, I think I put internal pressures on myself more than maybe the external ones are more in my mind than, than, you know what I mean? But he's easy on yourself because you know what, if every time you fall, you learn from your mistakes and that's all that matters. You pick yourself back up and you can do it. And if you're sober, you can pick yourself back up time and time and time again. I promise you, you can, those mountains start to become like just little hills, like little bumps, little speed bumps. Like they, you, they get easier to handle as you go on in your recovery journey. But if you fall, you know, you will, you fall forward and it will get better. And it will like it, it's hard to see it at that very given moment. But I'm going to say this, even for the ones, if there's anyone listening and you still are in active addiction, you're still loved, you're still cared for, you're still loved. I truly believe meeting people where they're at and having that compassion and kindness and understanding that just because I did, that doesn't mean that maybe it's not for you. And that's okay today, right? That's okay. I know some people that do still do their thing and they're just not there and they're not ready, but that's, that's fine. Like, and that's fine. But what I'm saying is don't beat yourself up and don't like Jessica said, you don't be so hard on yourself. Be easy on yourself. And when you're ready, you'll be ready. Just know that this life though, I had to know that it wasn't going to happen overnight. I wanted this here and there. That's one thing life is still teaching me till this day. Patience, patience, patience. Yeah. Impatient. So yeah. impatient. I want everything here and now. But has everything, imagine getting things right then and there, right? Imagine having the house, the car, all this stuff, right? Perfect life. You wouldn't appreciate it, right? When things are worked for and they're slowly progressing to gain those things, the appreciation behind it is so much greater, right? But it was, I don't need instant gratification today. I don't, I don't need that instant gratification. Monetary stuff probably doesn't matter to you as much. Like, is it one for me? It doesn't, you know? No, it'd be nice and it'd be, don't get me wrong. But what I do now in the field of working with our young youth in crises, I work with a lot of sex trafficking kids. I work with youth that um, have been through a lot that don't have anything. And it makes me grateful for my life. But to see the resilience on them and to see that fight within them, to show up for themselves every day when they have nothing in, nothing at all. And when I'm saying that they've lost everything, wasn't just addiction that they've lost. There's a lot of other things, you know, fires, I'm, you know, you name it. If they've lost their life, to see them still show up with a smile on their face keeps me going, right? And yes, monetary reasons would be awesome to the point of where you do make a functioning money on. But at the same time, today, it's the passion behind of just doing this and knowing that if I can help one person, yeah, that's yeah. it. That's I it. love that, guys. And I hope you guys liked, I hope, I, you know, James is a really good, Sometimes, um, like James is one of those people that really can like make any story not boring. Like, I, oh, so I, no, seriously. Like we, so, I mean, if you stuck with us the whole time, that's badass. If you broke it up into two, that's badass too. But he wasn't, I mean, I thought your story's great. You're inspirational. I'm putting all of his info on here, you guys. And, um, thank you so much for listening and, and hearing a story, you know, he, like I said, maybe we'll have him come back one day and talk about a specific, Anything. like, 
Yeah, he could. If he I could. love to talk, man. I'm a talker, and I so love do it, I, dude. I thought we didn't no. know each other too bad, but we did talk for 95 minutes, apparently. Yeah. Hey, yeah, go. no, it's good. It's good. It's like I, I do. I love to talk, and I love to go out and like and to speak, and that's what I've done, man. Another thing I'm going to mention that I didn't mention, guys. I've been to Alaska, to Atlanta because of recovery, sharing my story. Literally got to go to Alaska to share my story, and the whole town of Alaska had my face plastered all over it, and I was just taken away by that, thinking, dude, you literally, bro, was homeless, had nothing, you were gone, like. You lost oh, everything. Adam. You almost did. You almost weren't here to live to see this all, and to get flown and have it all paid for. Like it was dope, man. And to go up and give a speech of where I've been, it's amazing. And trust me, I and they, I've always, we always say that. I knew if I could do it, you can do it. No, seriously, that's fucking true. You can't. Like, like really, <laughs> you can. Really can. We were like smelly, stinky, homeless people that like literally like both of us. Like I went to my treatment facility with like a bag of wet clothes probably hadn't showered and like I don't even know how long and like it was just like it because I, I didn't shower really at the hospital didn't shower in that hotel that I was at yeah I was just I was just we were we, we came from the bottom guys and if yeah we going from the crap being put up on the map it will happen yeah. I'm you. <laughs> hey I just got let me give a shout out to Alma really quick uh she's a mom of she lost her son um Denilson and she put me on a billboard <laughs> in Santa Ana, California. So if you're in Orange County, my face is on a billboard. She just it's been up it's been on a few out there Let's because go. Of her, so thank you all. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. I love you and um, we appreciate all of you guys for listening and we'll have James back on again and thank you. This was episode 10 of Fixed and this was with James. Life is good. Find him on TikTok and his info is going to be in the bio. I appreciate it. Thank no you and love you all. Seriously, from the bottom of my heart, life truly is good when it's not. I just love who you are, even when I you love don't. you, James, and we all love you. So thank you for being here, and we are signing out, guys. Thank you guys again for tuning in to episode number 10 of Fixed with James. Life is good. If you need help, reach out to either one of us. Um, you can seriously message either one of us anytime. Um, there's so many resources available. If you're looking for confidential and free help from public health agencies to find substance use treatment and information, you can also call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Their phone number is 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks, guys, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you and talking to you guys on the next episode of Fixed. This is Jessica Danielle signing out.